The second reading is from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist, on, assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Acacia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jess. Good evening, church. Nice to see you all. There's Paul, if I haven't met you, and a welcome to those who are online. We come to the near the end of this little section in Romans, and it's a very strange little passage tonight. Uh, but I do believe that, uh, that God has some gold for us. So I'm going to pray and ask for his spirit to work. Our good Father, I want to thank you for this safe, dry building to meet in tonight. And Lord, we don't take that for granted, and so we pray for those uh, around Australia who have been hit hardest by these recent rains, and for those around our world who don't enjoy this favour of meeting safely with other believers. And so Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude, and as we come to your word tonight, I pray that you would... Prepare us to hear, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, fill our hearts again with these wonderful truths. Uh, show us Jesus and send us from this place more in love with him and more eager to serve him. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. 
Amen. There's a wonderful poem. I encourage you to go and look at it online. It's called Only One Life. Here's the last verse. It says, Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I will be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. It's a beautiful poem. It's written by a man called uh, Charles Thomas Studd, or C.T. Studd is known as, an Englishman who went as a missionary to China and then to India and then to Africa. And his motto for life was this, if Christ is God, if Jesus is God, and if Jesus died for me, then no sacrifice that I can make will ever be sufficient for him. I'm willing to give my all for him. And that was his motto. He says, I'm here on this earth to live for the glory of Christ. I'm here on this earth to serve Christ. I'm here on this earth to love people and to shine Christ to people. Uh, he, was a, he was a wonderful cricketer. He played cricket for Eton and then for Cambridge University and then for England. He played in the very first Ashes Test in 1882, which England, of course, lost. <laughs> but, but his fame, he was a very famous man, but his fame meant nothing. And he said this, he said, what is all this fame and all this flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? I know that cricket will not last, and fame and honour will not last, and nothing in this world will last. But what is worthwhile living for is the things that will, that will last and will last into the world to come. And he was persuaded, I'm persuaded, that the only things that will really last are people. That you can't take your car, you can't take your house, you can't take your holidays, but you can take people to glory with you. And so Jesus was the centre of this man's whole life. How can I shine and ooze Christ into the lives of all the people? And so he went to China. He went to China as a missionary. He spent a long time there. And then God called him to India where he pastored a church. And then he got really sick. But instead of going back to the UK, he decided to go to Africa, as you do. And he reached the unreached people of Africa. And as he faced death, he said this, my deepest joy in life, my deepest joy in life is that God has given me a great work to do and God graciously chose to work through me. He's an extraordinary man. Actually, not, he's, he's, he's just an ordinary man. An ordinary man like you and I who just live for an extraordinary God. But his heart was so captivated by Jesus, in love with Jesus, his purpose, his Outlook, his drive, his ambition was all about Jesus. There's a great book written by a man called John Piper. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. He says, look forward to that last day when you stand before your creator and you give an account for your life, your one and only life. I hope you don't want to stand that last day and say, here's the car, here's the house, here's the holidays. I hope you want to stand before him and say, here's all the people Here's all the people that I loved, the people I cared for, the people I was compassionate towards, the people I was gracious towards. Here's the people. And pray that God might have those many people around you worshipping Jesus on that last day. See, the message tonight is about a man called Paul. And this man called Paul had this heart for people. 
and his heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've called this sermon The Four Chambers of Paul's Heart. The Four Chambers of Paul's Heart. And he has a heart that beats for Jesus. And I hope that your heart will do too. In, in the first chamber it is a word, the word is minister. It's there in verse 16. Look at it with me. Paul says, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus. And that word minister there is a very strange word. It's not the usual word diakonos or servant. And it's not the usual word doulos or slave. It's the word, a temple word is leitorgon. And you get the word liturgy from that word. And so he's literally saying that I want my life to be a liturgy of Christ Jesus. And I think what he's saying is that I want to live a life that commends Christ and communicates Christ and shines Christ and oozes Christ. I want my whole life to magnify Christ. I want to be a minister, a liturgy for Christ. Wherever I am, whoever I meet, may they see Christ in me and Christ through me. Is that how you think? Have you ever seen those people who who stand on street corners with, with billboards on, you know, fitness first or anytime fitness, or, or the really, really bold people saying, repent and believe in Jesus. And Paul is saying, you know, I don't need a billboard. I don't need a billboard hung around my neck because if you spend 10 minutes with me, you should see Christ in me because I'm just a minister of Christ. Is that how you think? When you cook a meal for your neighbour, you're being a minister for Christ. And when you go to the gym and have a random conversation, you're shining Christ. When you walk into your workplace, like you're oozing Christ into that workplace. And when you come to church and you meet a new person, you're a minister for Christ. The words that you speak, the way that you speak, the choices you make, the choices you don't make, the things you do, the way that you do it. Do you ever think about how can I be compassionate and gracious and merciful and forgiving so, Christ, so people see Christ in me. And then before you tell me, no, Paul, I'm not an apostle like the apostle Paul was. No, you're not an apostle. But if you're a Christian, you have experienced the grace of God, haven't you? Verse 15, because of the grace God gave me, because of the undeserved love, the undeserved kindness that God gave me, he called him to be a minister of Christ. And if you're here today as a Christian, you too have been bathed in that grace, and so you too are a minister, a liturgy of Christ. I want you to finish this sentence. I'm going to be a minister of Christ in the CBD, a minister of Christ to the Mossman set, a minister of Christ at my gym, a minister of Christ in my workplace, a minister of Christ at the school or the theatre or the hospital, in my messed up family, wherever I go, Whoever I meet, I just want to shine and speak of Christ. When I think of a person who really embodies this, it's a man called Andrew Browning. Andrew Browning has served as a mission partner for 20 years. And he's not a preacher, and he's not a theologian, but he just oozes Christ. He's such a humble servant of Jesus. And he's dedicated his whole life to, to serving these, these poor women in Africa who are destitute, who are hurting, who are desperate because of this thing called fistula. And he loves them in action. And he heals them with his surgery. 
but he just shines Christ into their lives. He is a minister, and so are you. We've been given, verse 16, this, this priestly duty. And again, before you say, I'm not a priest, you are a priest. If you're a believer in Christ, the New Testament says you are part of the kingdom of priests. With this priestly duty of, of proclaiming, that's not just speaking, it's actually heralding. It's, it's speaking of Christ, but it's shining Christ. So the Gentiles, so that all people might become an offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's saying your purpose in life is to, to take people and make them acceptable and pleasing to God. It's a great ambition. It's a great goal to live your whole life going, how can I ooze, shine, and commend Christ to people? I hope you know that your task, your purpose in living is not just to get people to church not to serve them communion, uh, not to preach at them, but just to live amongst them. And so you commend Christ, you're a liturgy for Christ. What's the first word? Here's the second word. The word is glory. Verse 17. Paul says, therefore I glory in Christ. Uh, The word there is revel. I, I marvel. I marvel in Christ Jesus in my service to God He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Spot that? He says, I'm just the channel. I'm just the agent. This is Christ's work, and he's chosen to work through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and what I've done. But his his motto in life is, all glory to Christ. All glory to Christ. What is Paul proud of? What's his glory? He, He doesn't boast in the the number of churches he's planted. He doesn't talk about the number of converts he's made. He doesn't talk about his CV or how many Instagram followers he's had. He just says, I just want to be here to bring glory to one person and that person is Jesus Christ. And I love that humility. I love that mindset. It is liberating. It is challenging because to be honest, I think most of us, most of us, if we're human want a bit of glory to go back to ourselves. A bit of me. I was thinking if if I was sitting at a a dinner party with the Apostle Paul, how how easy it would be for Paul to boast about himself. You could say, oh yeah, I was in Thessalonica that time, and you know, I was just there for three Sundays, but I preached the gospel, and, and thousands of people came to Christ. Praise be to me. And I planted all these churches, and then I was kicked out of Thessalonica, but you know, the church of St. Paul is still there, praise be to me. And then I went to Athens, you know, and and I I reasoned in the synagogue, and I persuaded all these Jews to become Christians, praise be to me. Uh, And I left behind thousands of converts, praise be to me. And and then I, I was too busy to go back and visit them, so I wrote letters, Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Romans. You may have heard of them. They are amazing letters. And I'm a a New York Times bestseller and I'm speaking at a church conference on church planting, praise be to me. He could do that, couldn't he? He could have done that because he's actually probably the most prolific church planter in history. But there's no praise to Paul. It's just glory to Christ. And I love that because it's not about Paul it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's all glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. So that I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ 
did through me, little me. He chose to use me to build his church. He chose to use me to win converts. He chose to use me to bring glory to him, but praise be to him. Do you ever think like that? It's God who grew his church, God who kept his people, God who won you, God who used you, all glory be to Christ. I love this quote. Are you living life asking, where does God fit into the story of my life? Or are you asking, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? See the difference? You're just one little cog. You're just one little link in this incredible story that God is weaving all around his world. And if God's choosing to use you, then make sure he gets the glory. Lord, take me and use me for your glory, not my own. And that actually is so liberating. It will rid you of pride. It will rid you of competitiveness. It will rid you of narcissism. It will rid you of tribalism. All glory to Christ. All glory to Christ. And I love verse 19. He says, God did it by the power of signs and wonders and through the power of the Spirit of God because Paul understands that this is the, the work of God, not him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not his work. And I hope you know that. If anybody comes to faith in Christ, who opened their eyes? It wasn't you, it was the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit who prodded them. It's a spirit who chased them. It's a spirit who softened their hard hearts. It's a spirit who opened their blind eyes and brought them to Christ. If God chooses to grow his church, it's not because we've got the best perspectives and the best plans and the best strategy. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. If God grows you, it's his work, not your work. And so when you get your theology of the Spirit right, it liberates you. Because you want to say, all glory to Christ, not to me. So his heart is to be a minister. His heart is to bring glory to Christ. Number three, his heart is for ambition. I love verse 20. It's always been my ambition says Paul, my ambition in life to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. See, ambition is not a dirty word. A Christian should be ambitious. We should be ambitious. It depends what you're ambitious for. Uh, William Carey, the great missionary to India, said this, expect great things from God and so attempt great things for God. He's saying, God is amazing, God is big, God is massive, so expect great things from him. But if you know how big he is, then have a big vision, have a big dream, have big ambitions. Attempt great things for him. Be ambitious for God, because that's God's heartbeat. If you don't know this, the Bible says that, that God's desire, God's heart, God's longing is that all people come to the knowledge of the, of the truth, that all people come to know Jesus. That's a massive mission, isn't it? Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl coming to know Jesus Christ. That's what he wants in life. And so Paul takes that heart of God and says, well, that's my ambition. I want to meet with messed up people, with broken people. I want to be healed to the hurting. I want to win the lost. I want to shine Christ and speak of Christ where Christ was not known. Now, as soon as you have this ambitious heart, you live with this tension. Because Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted to visit Rome, to visit the Christians there. But he's like, you know what? Those Christians, they'll be fine. 
they'll be really fine because verse 14 tells us the, that the Christians in Rome are they're, what, they're, they're full of goodness, they're good people, they're filled with the knowledge of God, that their head is stuffed with theology about God, and they're competent to instruct one another. They don't need Paul to go and visit. A letter will do. He says, no, 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 there's more gospel work to be done. There's more lost people to be found. There's more lives to transform. And verse 19 is incredible. He says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. And so if you don't know your geography, uh, Jerusalem is in the east corner of the Mediterranean. He's gone up and down the coast of Turkey. He's been a, gone across into Europe. He's gone down through France, into Greece, into Macedonia, and now he's in modern-day Yugoslavia. That's his tens of thousands of kilometres, and he hasn't gone sightseeing. He's gone to save lost souls. His heartbeat is to say there are men and women out there who are hurting. They're broken. And I've got the words of eternal life. I've got the hope of this world. And so he goes and he plants churches after church after church after church just so people can hear about Jesus. That's his heart. Let's start big. Across our world today, there are 6,000 741 unreached people groups. Groups of people, tribes of people around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. That's billions of people. And we live in this this bubble here in Sydney. And we love to huddle together as Christians. But there are people out there who are desperate to hear the love of Christ. What what saddens me is that globally across the world, about 1%, 1% of global missions money goes to reach the unreached people groups and 99% goes to reach the already reached people groups. That is tragic. Is your heart beating now for those people who have not yet heard? Here's a church, we support 19 mission partners. Praise God for that. From Peru to Africa, to Albania, uh, to Myanmar, to, to Australia, or to New Zealand, all around the world. We've got mission partners. But why are we supporting 40 or 60 or 80 who are taking the gospel all around the world? Are you ambitious for the gospel here in Sydney? You don't have to go anywhere. They've come to us. And again, I want to remind you that There are people out there who would never walk through the doors of this church. But they're messed up and they're broken and they're hurting. And you've got the best news to share with them of the love of Christ. Is your heart beating for Macquarie Park? Why are you planting a church in Macquarie Park? Six weeks' time on the 2nd of May, we're planting a church in Macquarie Park. I'm excited by that. Why? Because thousands of people live in Macquarie Park. It is growing at five times the rate of the rest of Sydney. Thousands of people moving to that area. 100,000 workers coming every single day into the CBD there. And did you know that 57% of people who live in Macquarie Park do not speak English in their home? There are people who are coming who have not heard about Christ. That's why we're planting a church there. And maybe the Spirit is going to prod you to leave your comfortable Kirribilli congregation to go to Macquarie Park. 
Are you ambitious for that? What about other churches around this area? Are you up for planting more churches around this area? Let's plant a church in Mossman. Let's plant a church in, in Mars Point or in Waverton. Why? Because there are thousands of people who haven't yet heard about Christ. You know, we're praying for 2,000 people to come to our doors at Easter. But there are 36,000 people who live in Kirby and Utah Bay alone. That's 34,000 people who are not walking through the doors. Are you ambitious for this? Now, when your heart beats for the unbeliever, when your heart beats for people who don't normally come to church, it changes you. And what it does is this, is that you end up disappointing people. You end up disappointing Christians because Christians love hanging out with each other. And so when you say, I don't want to hang out with you Christians because there's unbelievers out there, I want to hang out with you, disappoint them. And it shakes you out of your comfortableness where you just fatten yourselves on more and more good teaching and stuff your head with more and more information. But you actually haven't got this hunger and this heart for these people who need to hear the love of Christ. Sorry, I'm getting excited by this, but I've just got this ambition for the gospel to reach people who need to hear that they are loved by God, that you are cherished by God, and God has, wants you to lavish you with his love. That's his heart and ambition. And then lastly, prayer. He's a man who really, really, really believed in the power of prayer. Verse 30. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He's saying, you Christians in Rome can actually be partners with me as I go on my mission journey. You can get on your knees and you can pray. You can pray to the God who's able to do more than you ask or imagine. So please, please join with me. Please pray for me, he's saying. Ever heard of William Booth who founded the Salvation Army? Extraordinary man of prayer. Uh, these missionaries were out on the mission field and they'd come to a dead end. They felt their work was useless and the situation was hopeless and they wrote to William Booth saying, we're giving up. He wrote back to a, a letter that had two words on it. Try prayer. <laughs> Try prayer. Get on your knees and talk to the one who's able to change things. Now, church, let me ask you, do, do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe that prayer is the most powerful weapon that God has given us? Now, our battle as a church is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual realm. And yes, you've got the arm of God. You've got, you can put on your helmet, you can put on your boots, you can put on your belt, you can put on your breastplate. But the two weapons he's given us is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and prayer. And when Christians pray extraordinary things happen. Now, as we pray, we see walls of hostility come crumbling down. As you pray, you see hard hearts being softened. As you pray, you see Christians being steadfast and being bold in ways they didn't imagine. As you pray, you see miracles. God does work in miraculous ways. So what do you pray for, you say? Anything and everything. Verse 31. He says, pray I may be kept safe. Kept safe from these unbelievers. May that nothing would stop me from keep on preaching Christ and shining Christ and oozing Christ. 
I pray for this collection, verse 31, this, this money that's been given to, to, to care for the poor, to care for the needy, because that's the call of Christians to really show love in action by, by giving to those most in need. And verse 32, pray I may come to you with the joy by God's will in your company be refreshed. He's saying, I just want to see other Christians to be refreshed and spurred on in my faith. We, we get to shout from the sidelines as we watch God's mission across this world. And God always answers prayer. God always answers, often in ways that we don't expect, and sometimes in ways that we don't really like. Now read Acts 20 to 28 and see how God answered these prayers. Yeah, Paul went to Jerusalem and he was kept safe, but he faced a stoning, he faced a beating. And yeah, he did get to Rome eventually, but he was shipwrecked, he was hungry, he faced hardship, and he came as a prisoner. And Paul wanted to go to Spain. We just read Paul wanted to go to Spain, but he never got there. He never got to Spain, and, and praise God that he didn't get to Spain, because if he got to Spain, then the letter to the Romans might not have been written. It wouldn't have this wonderful letter for us today. What I'm going to say is, when you pray, God works. And when you pray, he works in miraculous and mysterious ways.